his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Um, the story of Chappaquiddick has always been uh, one of, of mystery to many people because there is so much mythology surrounding an event that happened so long ago in the summer of 1969 that it becomes difficult as time goes on to put that story together uh, the way it should be told. And it's such an intriguing story. People probably wonder why it wasn't told before. We are about to talk to the screenwriters of the motion picture picture Chappaquiddick, which is coming out on Friday. It will be at Wilkes-Barre Movies 14. Um, that is happening. I'm not sure where else locally, but let's uh, welcome Andrew Logan and Taylor Allen to our show this morning on WILK. Welcome, gents. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing very well. Um, <laughs> I, I guess we'll, we'll play a jump ball, and uh, Taylor, alphabetically, we'll just start with you because I don't know another way to do it to make it fair. Talk about um, your interest in this story. I see you're a younger guy. You weren't around during Chappaquiddick, and there, there are probably a lot of people who thought this story would never hit the screen. So how did you become interested in it? Um, okay, uh, yeah, your phone, you know what, let me stop you there, Taylor, because your phone is really bad. Um, I don't know, yeah, I, Andrew, let me hear your phone, because that one is, is not uh, going to do it. <laughs> Are you, uh, can you hear me? Am I sounding okay? Yeah, your uh, Taylor is uh, off in the ether. Maybe he can call back on another line if that's possible. That would be great. But, Andrew, tell me about your involvement in this project, see, seeing as you are a younger person, probably not born when uh, these events happened. No, you're absolutely right. Um, but uh, me and Taylor, actually, we both grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, which, as you know, um, the, with the tragedy happening there in Daly Plaza, we feel like we grew up um, with the Kennedy legacy looming very large uh, in our childhood. Um, you know, growing up, we would go to the Sixth Floor Museum um, on class field trips, and so. So did you? Did, been really did, did, did you two grow up, grow up together? We actually grew up in the suburbs of Dallas, but we didn't meet until we were uh, both in film school at college at the University of Texas at Austin. Okay. And it was uh, we knew we were going to be best friends because. We actually found out we were uh, at the same rock concert when we were both 15 years old. We both went to go see Silverchair uh, when we were uh, teenagers. And um, when we found that out, we were like, are we best friends now? <laughs> and we've uh, we've been best friends ever since. Yeah. And okay. Taylor is actually the best man at my wedding. Oh, that's good. Uh, and I, I wonder if we can uh, hear Taylor now, if he could join our conversation. Are you there, Taylor? Yeah, not there. All right. Yeah, maybe he can uh, give us a, a call on a different line because the, these calls are always tricky, and um, I appreciate uh, the, the fact that you made time for it anyway, though. So talk about um, trying to put 
a story together like Chappaquiddick, because as you know, Andrew, uh, for people who live where we live in, uh, in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Pennsylvania, um, we maybe saw this story a little bit differently than other individuals because Mary Jo Kopechny was from Plymouth in Luzerne County. And uh, to many people, her loss was so stunning that maybe we've seen it differently. How do you try to put a story together and make it fair for everybody and bring it to the screen? Well, I guess I should start by saying that, you know, we wrote this movie when we, or we, we got the idea for this movie when we were in our late 20s. And we had never heard of uh, what Chappaquiddick was or, you know, the events surrounding it. We were roommates in uh, Los Angeles at the time. And this was in 2008 um, during the presidential primaries. And we were watching Real Time with Bill Maher. And Bill Maher uh, said on his show that, you know, Ted Kennedy made presidential history again today by endorsing Barack Obama over Hillary Clinton. Had it not been for Chappaquiddick, he might have been president in 1972. And so Taylor and I looked at each other and we're like, what's a Chappaquiddick? And so we, you know, we put it into Google, probably misspelling it, and then, you know, found out about what happened then uh, and was pretty stunned to to discover that this was a, you know, monumental political scandal that changed the course of American history that we had never heard about. And so, um, needless to say, that was very fascinating for us. And we had always, and it, it was kind of funny because we were talking about how Ted Kennedy had never been portrayed on screen as a movie character, that we've seen a bunch of people play John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy, but never uh, anybody playing Ted. And so we thought um, that this was, you know, a great, uh, great idea for a movie. And so in terms of how we approached it, we actually, I think that our naivete was one of our greatest assets because we didn't know what questions not to ask. And I'm the son of a lawyer, and we really wanted to uh, sort of, like, honor my dad's legacy. That was kind of one of the things that uh, I was really uh, related to with Ted. And so um, we uh, – so my dad's a lawyer. And so when I – when we started the research process, we wanted to make sure that we were uh, as truthful as possible. Okay. And so we used the uh, inquest testimony into the death of Jerry, Mary Jo Kopechny as our primary resource. All right. Uh, and, on, and, and in that testimony, everybody who was on the island of Chappaquiddick uh, right. is under oath. Yeah, and it, sorry, coming, from a, yeah, coming from a family of lawyers, Andrew, you would hope that would mean something. I'm going to welcome uh, Taylor into our – Taylor, are you there? Taylor Allen, welcome to our show. Hey, how's it going? Great to have you. <laughs> it's it's good to hear your voice. Uh, and we were just talking to Andrew about how uh, maybe the fact that you didn't know a lot about uh, Chappaquiddick helped you with this movie. We talked a little bit uh, about uh, the the inquest. And I, I think that uh, that kind of testimony under oath, you would hope, Taylor, would be accurate, right? Because when we see people with their hands up, we th- hope they're telling the truth. Absolutely. And... If they weren't telling the truth, then certainly what I can tell you is that not everybody's testimony exactly agreed with each other's. 
that was something that we tried to bake into the movie. And so you actually do see the accident uh, three different times, and you see events play in somewhat three different ways. And the reason for that is because we wanted to show the diversity of under oath testimony from Ted, even going from his statement to the police the day of the accident to the statement that he made to the nation a week later to the testimony he gave under oath. Yeah, and uh, most certainly that these are interesting calls that were made in regards to uh, what needed to be done here with the Ted Kennedy, Taylor, because, you know, a lot of people probably thought that this would be the end of him. In, in fact, I, I'm sure there were people in the Kennedy camp that thought the only way out of this for Ted Kennedy as a senator would be for him to offer his resignation. Absolutely. And that was something that we did find was heavily discussed at the time. And I'll say that, um, you know, you're writing a movie, it's not a documentary. And so one of the only pieces of dramatic license in the movie is the idea that his cousin Joe Gargan specifically wrote out a resignation speech. And we did that because we wanted to make that choice very clear for the audience and show that it was truly considered, and we think that that's fair, but whether or not the actual speech was ever written is not documented. But the thing that is documented, again, is that uh, Joe Gargan um, hated the speech that Ted ended up reading uh, to the nation the week later, written by Ted Sorensen, and that uh, despite that, he was uh, forced to suffer the indignity of holding the cue cards. Ted Sorensen, by the way, if I'm uh, remembering this correctly, was instrumental in writing John F. Kennedy's inauguration speech, right? Absolutely. He was uh, JFK's uh, main speechwriter, I believe. incredible because th- there's so much irony in this, Taylor, that I find because in that speech, of course, Kennedy talks about um, space exploration, going to the moon, and this terrible, tragic accident happened on the cusp of the moon landing. I mean, you can't, you can't make fiction like this, and it was, it was all real. You're absolutely right. Often as writers, and you know, mind you, Andrew and I are first-time screenwriters, we said to ourselves as we did our research, you know, if this movie doesn't turn out great, it's not the fault of the material, it's the fault of the writers, because everything was really served to us on a silver platter with um, all the great thematic dynamics of the Kennedy family. All right, I'm going to see if uh, we have Andrew back so we could uh, conference you together. Andrew, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? You both sound terrific now, and I'd like to thank Ma Bell for making all this possible. All right, uh, so, <laughs> so Andrew, let me ask you about uh, this this particular storyline, because uh, as we were talking about, uh, Mary Jo Kopechny was from our area, and uh, a lot of people here saw her different than some of the portrayals in the, the newspapers, which were absolutely uh, terrible. Uh, I believe it wasn't one of the headlines, Blonde Drowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sadly, so, yes. Yeah, so to, to actually try to uh, sort through all this, I know that um, the, the people that live here, uh, Georgetta Petoskey and her son, William Nelson, were very, very anxious to make sure that everything went uh, and okay on their end. Uh, how much did you learn from them? Uh, we were really lucky oh. that um, right as we were about to set forth with production, 
they reached out to us and uh, sent us their book. Uh, it's called Our Mary Joe. And it really was something that we had always been striving for to show Mary Jo as a three-dimensional human being. But, um, you know, their book were, was a very helpful resource for, you know, the performance and for the construction of the character to make sure that we got it as accurate as possible. And that was always our goal was, you know, to honor her, her memory. Yeah, her name had been dragged through the mud, um, you know, for almost 50, 50 years. And we felt it was really important for uh, an audience to see the story and to come away with knowing how smart and uh, how bright of a future that she had in front of her and how tragic her death really was. Um, from the, the perspective of, of trying to uh, make this screenplay uh, a reasonable length, I understand, uh, Andrew, when it was written at first, it uh, crested, what, over 250 pages, and I can see why, because w what do you leave out in a story that's so intriguing? Well, I should say that the um, that the uh, the original draft was 196 pages, still very, very long, <laughs> but not, not quite 250. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, you know, on that first draft, we were really um, wanting to make sure that every detail that we thought was really important was um, in the script. And so in order to get it down to a manageable length, we, you know, had to make some tough choices and just go through scene by scene, line by line, and just cut anything that wasn't, you know, on story with what, with what we were trying to do. Yeah, uh, Taylor, I'll you. go ahead. Oh, good. Oh, well, I'll just tell you an interesting detail that is an example of the sort of thing that we wish we could have included because it's minor, but even though it's minor, it actually spoke volume. Uh, in the movie, when Ted wakes up uh, Saturday morning after Mary Jo's death, there's a paper sitting at his doorstep, as there often are at hotels, and he picks it up and he sees a lot of moon landing stories. But in reality, doing the research, uh, there wasn't a paper. Uh, he actually went to the front desk and uh, he got a paper from the desk clerk and then asked for change for the phone. And you do see him end up making that phone call, but um, it was something that just like these small interactions meant a lot to us in terms of as he delayed and as he you know, chose not to immediately go to the police. Uh, one of the most powerful characters, I understand, in, in your movie is uh, Joseph Kennedy, Although he, at the time he was, uh, he had suffered a stroke and was uh, not completely verbal, and I, I guess his his actions and reactions had to do uh, with a, a lot of, I guess, physical acting. And Andrew, how did how did he come off uh, to you when you were trying to portray him in this movie? Um, we uh, first we read the book called The Patriarch. Uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful book about Joseph Kennedy and the Kennedy, Kennedy dynasty. And then in terms of how to specifically portray him, we uh, had a lot of arguments actually about how to do that because, you know, as you said, he had a stroke and he, his um, speech was impaired and we weren't exactly sure how he sounded or how he communicated. And then I ended up coming across a recording um, that I found through the LBJ Presidential Library of President Johnson and Ted Kennedy making a phone call to Joseph Kennedy from the Oval Office. And in that call, you know, he's able to grunt a couple words here and there. 
um, with the very heavy breathing on the other end of the phone. And so once we had that, we were like, well, this is, this is how we have to write it because this is how he sounded. Taylor, in terms of uh, some of the other backdrops for this, I mean, uh, we, we know that this family was so plagued by tragedy. So I guess for a lot of Americans, there was a sensitivity to them looking at the, the suffering that they had incurred. In fact, you, you probably found out through your research that people around here and probably people from across the country had a picture of JFK next to Jesus in their house. So there was always this uh, reverence to them. And I'm sure that to some, it was very, very difficult to see this accident in in any light that was not favorable to the Kennedys. So how did you how did you view that? Um, to your point, our research did show that uh, you know JFK photos were as popular as Jesus photos in homes in the late 1960s, and uh, specifically uh, in the original 196 page draft, um, the the prosecutor, the DA Edmund Denise. Uh, he lived with his mother at the time, and the way that we introduced him in the script was with his mother answering the phone, sitting next to a portrait of Jesus and JFK on the wall. So that did play into the uh, movie. And uh, the, I saw a statement from someone in, in the Kennedy family that uh, tried to almost be a little bit dismissive of, of this movie. Andrew, did you—it was in some article about, you know— it's always been difficult to separate uh, these two things, and uh, we believe that uh, y you guys used a lot of things that uh, weren't quite accurate. So am I getting the statement right at all? And I'm sure you've seen it. Um, yeah, I think uh, someone said something to that effect. But, you know, as as I said before, we used uh, the inquest testimony as our primary uh, source for the script and used the words and the... Um, and the testimony of the people who were there to guide on the facts for the movie. Yeah, uh, Taylor, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I had to add to that because, um, you yeah, know, one of the other things that um, that individual said in that interview was that we had not spoken to anybody on the island that night, and thus we, we didn't have any information from people that were there. And uh, that's not actually accurate. We actually talked to John Farrar, who is the diver who is the person that exhumed Mary Jo's body out of the car and was the only person to see her undisturbed, you know, position in the car. And uh, it was his, you know, point of view, it was his experience that uh, Mary Jo was in a position where she was trying to get one last breath of air. And, um, you know, that was something that was really heartbreaking to hear and something that we felt like needed to be in the movie. And so we did actually reach out to you know many other people, and actually the person specifically who said that we didn't talk to anybody, we asked if she could help us with uh, the accuracy of the script, and she turned us down flatly. So you do your best. Yeah, and uh, I, I wonder if that would be alluding to the... Uh, elusive boiler room girls who have been uh, shrouded pretty much in a, a veil of secrecy all these years. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we we definitely wanted their point of view because I think that they were closest with Mary Jo, and thus, given our stated goal of trying to honor Mary Jo's legacy, it would have been um, 
well appreciated to get them on the record uh, from their perspective today. But we did have all of their testimony from the inquest, and some of them speak quite extensively. So we did feel comfortable moving forward. Yeah, and uh, Andrew, the, the, the Boiler Room girls themselves, they were the precursors to uh, modern-day political consultants. They were mm-hmm. obviously very hardworking on behalf of of, of these candidates. And it's, it's many people believe that uh, they do actually hold a lot of the keys. Is, is there anything you found anywhere that would indicate as to why they are so... Uh, covert in all of this. Uh, some people speculate that perhaps they may have uh, been, you know, paid to keep quiet or whatnot. Do you have any kind of indication what why they don't talk? No, I, I don't have any um, indication, and certainly nothing in my research has um, given me, shed any light on, on that fact. I think that you would have to ask them. Is there, in the research, and neither one of you can answer this, is there anything that would indicate that uh, perhaps uh, the vehicle, the Oldsmobile that uh, Ted Kennedy was was driving when it went off the bridge at Chappaquiddick had been involved in any uh, previous accident that evening? No, nothing that we've found. Um, There is an indication that Ted's testimony about when the accident occurred is not accurate because... Um, a sheriff's deputy officer, Huck Look, saw that the car and actually could uh, list, you know, the first letter and some of the numbers of the license plate uh, an hour after Ted Kennedy said the accident had already taken place. Wow. Um, and so there's a very interesting story from that man. And uh, we've actually spoken to his family since, and they were very happy with uh, the portrayal in, in the movie. Okay. And uh, I know I have to let you both go because you stayed way longer than you were supposed to. But uh, we find <laughs> Happy this, to. We, we find this, this whole situation to be fascinating. I'm glad that uh, the two of you chose this uh, to do. And uh, I'd like to ask either one of you, in the future, do you, do you hope to deal more with parts of American history that are controversial, or do you uh, think that you'll be dealing in fiction, or, or maybe both? And uh, either one of you can answer. Uh, definitely, I think that we'll end up doing a lot of both. But in the short run, we are really focused on uh, some other pieces of history that have gone undertold or unnoticed. And um, we're really excited to uh, turn our lens to uh, the sports world, and we're going to be telling a great story about the Augusta National and uh, the racist founder of uh, that most famous golf club and his relationship with the first employee, who is a black man, and uh, why this ultra-racist man ended up giving a significant portion of his estate to uh, a black man and what that must have felt like for that man, Bowman Milligan. What what a great... What a great story that you're going to tell. And it is such a pleasure to talk to you both. I appreciate your taking the time to explain uh, what you did, how you did it. And we look forward to seeing uh, the movie that you wrote the screenplay for, Chappaquiddick, which we will be seeing in our area on uh, Friday. So, uh, Andrew Logan, Taylor Allen, uh, thank you very much. It's a great happenstance that you two became friends with each other uh, through the band Silver Chair, which I also think is a great story. And um, it's uh, amazing. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. 
But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. 